This episode is sponsored by Our Sunday Visitor. As fundraising continues to become more competitive and people and technology continue to change, relying on what you've done in the past and gut feelings will no longer successfully increase donor participation. OSV's school annual fund will expand philanthropic efforts and connect donors to your school mission. During the six weeks process, OSV consultants will work with your school to determine how best to adapt materials to your school needs. They have made the process simple, so only a minimal amount of work is necessary to begin a school annual fund or improve your current annual fund efforts. Call 800-348-2440 or go to osv.com to get started. Hello and welcome to the NCEA podcast. I'm Jill Annable, Executive Director for Academic Excellence here at NCEA. We have a great episode ahead of us here. I have Kate Beisel, the principal of Divine Providence Academy, which is one of the micro schools that we studied as we wrote um, our upcoming book. Kevin Baxter and I wrote the book, um, Greatness and Smallness, A Vision for Catholic Micro Schools. And I first met Kevin when he came to meet Kate a couple years back now to study Catholic microschools and their viability across the country. Um, and I know I've known Kate for a while because um, we were here in the same diocese uh, working together for a number of years. So thank you and welcome, Kate. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so glad to talk about this. Um, and when I came in as assistant superintendent of the diocese on the day of my interview, I was also grilled about DPA, about Divine Providence Academy. It was essential that I would fight for the existence of the school and the academics here. Um, and now years later, there's so many successes to share. So it's we've come a long way. And um, the school was a consolidation project of three parish schools. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kate. So three parish schools we're going to be combined, but with a lot of innovation. And that was now 10 years ago. And you are the second principal. So you carried on the vision and then so excitedly pushed a lot of vision forward. So I'm going to push it over to you and you can, ex you can explain anything more about DPA you want to share with us. Sure. So DPA is, we love DPA. Um, Divine Providence Academy has two campuses. Uh, so we are one school. Um, our campuses are about 15 minutes apart from each other. So I split my time equally between both campuses. Our St. Joseph campus has infant toddlers through eighth grade. And then our St. Catherine's campus has infant toddlers through fifth grade. Um, when I started, it was preschool through um, eighth grade and preschool through fifth grade. And one of the things that we have really uh, pushed is our infant toddler preschool program um, to really start our families off strong at the beginning and then retain them kindergarten through eighth grade. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, we could do a whole episode just on that. I think there's so many school communities who who are trying to decide how young should our preschool programs go? Should we should we dive into childcare programs for families? And we've seen it that once families feel stable and this is their community and this is their parish life, 
they stay. And I think that's something you've learned over time. You built a new building. Can you tell us yeah. about that? Yeah. So we built a new building at our St. Joseph campus. Um, it was a labor of love and our community and our parishioners really just rallied around us. And we knew that in order to continue to have strong enrollment kindergarten through eighth grade we needed to do something different and so we needed to build an early childhood center so we have a new infant room a toddler room and a preschool room um, and now we will have 11 students who will be coming up into our new kindergarten class which are really great numbers for our micro school yeah okay so we're here on location at the campus so there's the church and next to it is this brand new child center. And then next to it is the one room schoolhouse like that. We're sitting in the building that has multi-age classrooms, um, but you ran out of space. And so in order to bring in the youngest students, you needed a new building. So this is a thriving community. Tell us how many total students on each campus. Yeah, so we are very excited that our Little Wings program, um, so we are a Wings model, our little, which is why we call Little Wings Little Wings. Um, and we have 29 infant toddlers and preschool, well, infant toddlers, excuse me. We have infant, 29 infant toddlers at our St. Joseph campus, um, 27 preschoolers and 38 K-8. Um, we also have a before and after care program, uh, which has been really helpful for our community. And we have 32 students at that campus. At our St. Catharines campus, we have eight infant toddlers, 18 preschoolers, 29 K-5, and then 26 before and after care students. Um, so we really, again, looked at our before and after care model and said, how can we, what are the needs of our community? And then how can we help families um, learn about our school. And so this was a great like introduction for families, again, just to feel like they are part of our community and that we are here to help them and um, be an outreach for them. That's incredible. And I want to make sure that I define micro school before we get too far. So when we are talking about Catholic micro schools, we are talking about schools that are small by design. So intentionally, you know that DPA is never going to have seven hundred students that right now your enrollment is a stable enrollment that you have room for a few more but you are not um, you are hitting your enrollment goals relatively speaking would you say that's true I mean yeah. you could you could fit a few more kids into each classroom but but obviously you had to build a building in order to to take all of them who who wanted to come so yeah. this isn't at some point you're gonna hit what's your enrollment cap let's uh, our enrollment cap per classroom uh, for the model, for our workshop model that we do at DPA, uh, it would be 15 students per classroom. Okay. Um, so right now we have multi-aged classes and our parents do such a great job of understanding that our room grades to change every year, depending on what our enrollment is. So for at our St. Joe's campus, we have a young fives K1 in the classroom. Um, and then two, three in a classroom, and then four, eight in a classroom. Um, so our goal is as, you know, our infant toddler program continues to grow and be stable, that the those grade levels at the bottom, you know, so then next year maybe we can have a young fives K room, and then a one, two room, and then a three, four room, and then a six, eight room. Um, and so our, our families are really good about understanding 
they want to make sure that our classrooms and our class sizes stay small. And because of our model, kids can work at their own pace. And so it's it's okay that we have, it's, it's amazing that we have a 4-8 room, um, you know, with 12 students because we are able to to make that work and every student can meet all of their standards at their grade level um, and the younger students get help from the older students and vice versa yeah. so it's a it's a family we're a family here. yeah and it's innovative and it's different than and i just want to make this one point here that it's different than when a school begins to shrink and everyone thinks oh no we now have to combine first and second grade because i can't afford to have two teachers there's not enough kids this is by design for now, the last 10 years, multi-age classrooms, students are working with their peers for multiple years and with their teachers for multiple years before they graduate into upper elementary, lower elementary, however you, however you word your classrooms. But we have in the book a couple of um, charts that explain how different principals have organized those over time um, so that all of our listeners can start to, and our readers can start to think differently about being intentional about those multi-age classrooms, um, which helps teachers think about multi-age instruction much differently than, uh-oh, I now have two sets of textbooks and I have to somehow figure out how to get my first and second graders moving. Like if that's not how this works. And so we'll talk more about that. And as we do our book study coming up, um, so we will be studying the book as we go. Um, we have lots of people signed up for the NCA book study on micro schools, which will begin on May 18th, uh, which is very soon. Uh, in the book study, we're going to be bringing eight of our principals who have uh, consulted with us on the creation of the book um, into these conversations so people can ask questions about different facets of a multi um a multi-age instructional model within a Catholic micro school, um, which will be great. So Kate's going to come back into that book study when we get to academic excellence and dive into classroom practices when we get there. But the book is structured in the four domains of the National Standards and Benchmarks for Effective Catholic Schools, the NESBECs. And so I want to ask Kate a few questions about the other domains because sure. she's really established. You're in your third year as principal yes. and it's come a long way in that time. So I want to make sure that we hit some of these other topics. Um, one thing that I have learned from Kate is her ability to pull families together to get involved in the school and to ensure that the whole family is supported through the education and through the parish parishes is what is your situation. Um, so, so let's start like this. So you have a, a new priest and he's a, he's a relatively new priest yes. and he was assigned to be pastor here. This is his first role as pastor. He was chaplain at a Catholic high school prior to this. Yeah. Um, but now he is your pastor. How did you bring a priest along, a new priest along to understanding what's different about this Catholic school? Yeah, we are so thankful for Father Andrew. He has such a great energy when he walks into the building. And his first task was just to get to know our families and our students. Um, so for him to just walk through our, our building and for me to walk through it with him um, and to say hello to the kids and, you know, say some prayers with them and just talk to them at recess. And, you know, after we did the first couple walkthroughs together, he said, OK, now tell me tell me about your model. Tell me about your school. 
school. Um, so I sent him, you know, all, a lot of different paperwork and it's really nice. We meet every, every week, every other week. Um, and so we were able just to have those really amazing conversations. So after I gave him all of, all the paperwork and you know, all the emails, all the things, and I said, okay, what questions do you have? And he said, this is such a, this is such a great model to, you know, tell me how this works. Um, so I talked about a lot about how we individualize our learning for our kids. And we love DPA because it's such an intricate part of our diocese. And we want to make sure that our small schools stay viable and they continue to grow and that other schools know that if they have, you know, less than 150 students that, that doesn't mean that's the end. That just means that they might have to restructure something. Yes. And it will grow leaps and bounds in a new way, in a very exciting way. Yeah. And uh, Father Andrew has done such a great job of continuing to rally around DPA and in his sermons and just showing his support at meetings, um, talking to community members. Um, it's so important that everybody, everybody is in support of your school because we need all hands on deck to make this to continue to work. Absolutely. So I'm hearing, I'm hearing that your leadership comes from both you as principal and with a pastor. That's viable, um, viable conversations. Just everyone on board with the model, understanding how it's different, knowing your elevator pitch of what makes DPA strong. Um, and then tell us about your governance. So you have a board of limited jurisdiction. Um, how many board members do you have? How, you know, roughly how many of those are parents, not parents? You have two campuses. Tell us a little bit about your board. Yeah. So it's really important that um, because we have two campuses at two different locations that we have equal representation of community members at each campus. Um, so currently uh, we do have a large percentage of fam of like parents that are on our mm -hmm. board. Um, and, you know, we're working, I think that's just always a struggle of, of micro schools of maybe even all Catholic schools. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you just have a, you have a, a high percentage of family members um, that are, that are just on the board, um, which which is okay. I mean, yeah. we, we've learned to work with that. And we know that 40 per, only 40% of parents should be on a school board. Yes. Um, but you also have to be okay with, with where you, your board is and coming in as a new principal. That was something that we were just, we were okay with. And we know that we're working on getting more community members. Mm -hmm. um, but really to make sure that each campus feels represented. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have, you know, a lot of people from one campus or a lot of people from another campus mm -hmm. because um, we need to make sure that everybody feels heard yeah. um, and that we are meeting the needs of each, right. each school. What I'm not trying to put you on the spot here, but what kind of expertise are you looking for on your board when you're seeking a member who's not a parent, a community member? You know, what industries are they in or what expertise do they bring? Or what do you what are you seeking? You can ever find, you know, what kinds of people do you want on your board? Yeah, people that we want on our board are people that love Catholic schools um, and really have a passion for Catholic schools. Um, we always I think the hardest people to find are people in marketing. Mm -hmm. um, and we're currently working on our five year strategic plan. Um, so really good people on our policy and planning committee. 
Um, so even people like within marketing, we even reached out to some local colleges uh, for people that are in marketing to help us get our survey out to our parish and to our families and to our community. Um, so we have a really strategic way of knowing how to move forward and have a good year to year plan um, and that we meet those goals. So a lot of great communication between different committees um, and the school board president and father and I have good communication. So our meetings are meaningful. We know people are really busy um, and we're very grateful for the time and the effort um, that they put into attending school board meetings and all that extra time in between those meetings. So we want to make sure to have really good communication so they feel that we walk away having completed something. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just, oh, we have another school board meeting and we just talk, you know, we just talk and talk and talk. Right, we right. really want to feel that we have completed something and that we have a goal for next mm -hmm. meeting. And that's something that's universal across Catholic schools, but I think it's really, it has to be intentional with a micro school because it's a small community. People think, oh, it'll get done. Um, but you still need committee work that happens uh, separate from the board and reports to the board so that you and father have have work happening that doesn't just fall on you and father. I mean, the role of a principal in a micro school, and it's hard, it's hard to talk to you about it because you're like, well, I don't know anything different. But the number of hats that you have to wear as principal, I mean, you don't have a director of advancement. You don't have a, you know, so some of those roles fall on the board for their expertise um, or fall in your hands or father's hands. Um, this, is a, this is a vulnerable question, it's not on my list, but I'm wondering <laughs> what areas of being a principal were hard for, like it was a learning curve and you had to figure it out so that the school would be sustainable. Can you think of, I mean, instruction, I mean, you can do, and you have an early childhood background, so early childhood instruction you can do in your sleep in some ways, <laughs> but, but what other areas of being a principal um, have been more difficult? I would have to say a lot of the a lot of the just the behind the scenes admin that I yeah. as a previously I was a teacher at DPA and so I understood how our model ran I understood uh, just the day to day and all that we ask our teachers to do right. especially in a micro school even our teachers wear a lot of hats and I wanted to make sure that we weren't burning our teachers out and so I had a really good handle on that, but the finances and, you know, the school board meetings and making, just understanding how important it was to communicate with not just our parents, but our parishioners and our community for them to know that we we're here and we're growing and exciting things are happening. Mm -hmm. So to really have that, that positive, I've always been positive about our school uh -huh. and I love our school <laughs> so much. Um, but I wanted everybody else to know how passionate we are about our school. Yeah. Um, so really communicating that out mm -hmm. to everybody um, was more work than I thought it was going yeah. to be. And, um, and I have a, I have a good handle on it now, but, um, we have, we have a really, our parish and our school are in a good collaborative place. Um, so with Father Andrew and with our secretaries from our parishes and our school, that communication 
is so important that that doesn't break down mm-hmm. and we've we've come a long way and just really excited where we are now. Yeah, yeah. that is exciting. It's funny, Kate, I couldn't even prompt you better. A lot of the things that Kate is saying are in the book, but they're not mm-hmm. because Kate said them. It's because other uh, Catholic micro school principals are saying the same things. The number of hats the teachers are wearing, um, how important the parish is, even if you're an independent Catholic school, how how you have relationships with priests and or with the religious order or with your your neighboring parish um, and parish community is how you stay sustainable. And so that that all hands on deck approach um, comes up a lot as we were preparing for the book and I'm sure will happen throughout the book study. Um, I want to ask you about budgeting. I mean, I think one thing that happens and you didn't have to do this because DPA has been around for 10 years now, but when you go to a small model, you have to make a lot of cuts. You have to make a lot of critical decisions, I think. And um, I don't want to speak for Kevin Baxter, but this is a lot of what he brought to the table as we were studying micro schools is, is those critical decisions are what prevents the school closure. If you were in, and this isn't true for DPA, but if you're in an area where you used to have hundreds and hundreds of students, and now you know you can sustain something at about a hundred, it means you can't do things like you're a large school. And so um, you don't have to speak for budget cuts that had to happen when DPA came to be, but even as you took over as principal, you know, as vulnerable as you want to be, I know you had to make some big decisions about tuition, about, um, you know, sticking to your guns, about how you were going to do things and not other things. If anything comes to mind, talk a little bit about budgeting or what you've learned. Yeah. So when I first started, we had a part-time business manager um, and we have since had, we now have a full-time business manager and him and I meet every week and just receiving or I should say, I used to not receive monthly budget reports and I used to not receive good community, you know, great communication. And so there were things that were lacking that we knew needed to change. Mm-hmm. And so now that I meet with our business manager every week and Oh, that's great. Every week. Yeah, absolutely. He I have his I have his phone number. I'll call <laughs> him up on the phone and say, Hey, tell me about this line item. Help me, you know, help me understand this. Or this is, you know, this needs to go on this line item because I only budgeted X amount of, you know, money. Right. Um, it's important to be a really big picture thinker when you're thinking micro schools, but you have to be really aware of where your money's going. Mm-hmm. And if you're not able to meet your budget at the end of the fiscal year, you have a really good idea already mm-hmm. of what you need to cut. Right. Um, and so we needed to make a lot of those hard decisions when um, when DPA first started. Thankfully, I did not have to do that. Our mm-hmm. superintendent did that. Um, along with school, our school board and our pastor. Um, and so I've had to make smaller budget cuts, mm-hmm. um, which have been easier because I have a good idea of where you have to know where your money's going. Right. Um, so that meant that we needed to raise our tuition by 5% this mm-hmm. year. We needed to raise our infant toddler rates by $15. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we needed to, uh, if our families were going to be gone over the summer for infant toddler care, they needed to have a deposit to hold their spot. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot of things that you learn trial and error yeah. now that we're on, our, you know, year three of infant toddler programming. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been really helpful. And then to have to have infant toddler programming and preschool programming is really helping us sustain our K-8 numbers because we know that's where we need to have a couple more kids. You know, we have room for two or three more students in those classrooms. Um, So we have to make up for those kids that aren't there yet, but we know are coming because our, our younger classes are getting bigger because of of our infant toddler and preschool programming. Um, Because families, when they come to us, we want to treat them and we do treat them like family. And as soon as they enroll, we say, welcome to the DPA family. We're so excited to walk this journey with your child and your family all the way to eighth grade. I know, so these these students are with you from infant, I mean- From birth, yeah, yeah. six weeks old. And this is why 10 years in, and I've talked to many school leaders who once they're 10 years into any sort of innovation or consolidation or new school, you now have a generation of students who identify with DPA. They're DPA graduates, a whole slew of them. And they're successful beyond DPA. Okay, I'm going to get all excited, but I want to back up a couple couple of points. I want to make sure that we're clear on. So back to business manager, you have a part, a full-time business manager, but is he just for DPA or also no. for the two parishes? He's, we actually are a cluster parish. So we actually have three parishes. Okay. Um, two school, two campuses. One on school, one school board. Yeah. yeah. One school board. Um, and so he is the business manager of both campuses and of all three of our parishes. That's great. That alone keeps everyone on the same page because yeah. he's seeing the budget of all things and he's advising on all of those. Absolutely. That's great. Okay, just want to make sure that was clear. So DPA is a family. Uh, they, your families walk with you. This community is small. Sometimes people make decisions that are just good faith decisions, and you can't do it that way. I mean, you're running a business. You're running a viable school. Um, and so I appreciate the decisions you've had to make in order to keep it viable. And people respect that consistency on tuition collection and on policies and, and all of that. Um, but on the family side, on the spiritual side, on the on the side that really makes our schools homes, you've done a lot of work with bringing in new families, even non-Catholic families, and what kind of mentorship or um, just partnership you need with them so that they can understand the model and be successful. Can you talk about that a little yeah, bit? Absolutely. Uh, so COVID has been very good to DPA and the fact that families last year wanted a change for their children. Um, they they knew and they experienced firsthand um, things that did not work if they had attended a public school in the spring. Um, and so we had a lot of new family interest over the summer. Um, one particular family at our St. Catherine's campus um, were not Catholic and had a second grader and a kindergartner and enrolled them into DPA in the fall. And the the second grader, actually, uh, she attended her mom was okay and gave us permission for her um, to attend the sacramental prep for First Communion. Um, and our religion teacher, who is amazing, just walked alongside her and helped her answer her questions 
And you could just tell every week she got more and more excited. And she said, do you think that you could talk to my mom? And I really, I really think that I want to become Catholic and I want to be baptized and receive my first communion. And so with, again, that great communication, our religion teacher, you know, had those conversations with the parents and said, hey, your child really desires this. How do you feel about this? How do you know, how does your whole family feel? And uh, the parents said, you know, we can just tell such a difference and we, we love your school and we can, we can tell how her spiritual life has grown. And so we as a family want to become Catholic. So the whole, so the whole family, it just was such an amazing journey for them, for us to walk alongside them and for them to um, just feel they had a safe place and people that they could talk to and they could have their questions answered. Um, and they didn't, they didn't feel, you know, weird about it. Mm-hmm. And that was just so exciting for them and exciting for us and exciting for our parish because we want our school to thrive. But in order for our school to thrive, our community has to thrive and our parish has to thrive. And you can't do one without the other. So every, again, I know I've already said this, but everybody has to be on board. Yeah. This is, I'm like, this is emotional. This is exciting. So this is a family who just this school year, because of COVID, joined. And at this Easter season, received sacrament, like became Catholic. Yes. And I, I want to interview everyone who has these stories. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's thousands of these stories across the country as people chose Catholic schools, but especially in a micro school, the community is strong. Your academics are strong. The families trusted you. I think a lot of worry across the country is that people who came to Catholic schools as kind of their safe haven, that's what other principals have been calling it. Like this is the, okay, Mm -hmm. we're like the safe place they can be during this pandemic. And they're worried they're not going to stay. And not only is this family going to stay, they became Catholic. That's, that's incredible. Congratulations, Kate. Like that's, that is big. That is big. And so I guess we, we welcome that conversation uh, at NCA of, of hearing all those stories that that's incredible. Um, you have a bit of a background um, in an urban core population also. So prior to DPA, um, being a preschool director, was yes. that your role? Yep. Um, and family mentorship was really important there too. Um, can you talk about anything there that really helped you solidify how you have to walk alongside families as they come into a school? Um, and, and does anything come to mind with that experience? Yeah, absolutely. So the the dynamics at both of our campuses are different. Um, so we have more of a socioeconomic need at our St. Catherine's campus. Um, and we have found that it's really important that as we as teachers have lots of different hats and as a principal, I have a lot of different hats. One hat that I've had to wear a lot is the role of a family coach. Um, we know that, you know, we want our teachers to focus 100% on their students. And we have to remember in order for our students to be successful, the whole family has to be successful. And a family coach is that person to walk alongside the parent. Um, so in more of an urban core setting, we had a full-time uh, family coach that helped families with 
you know, food insecurities, domestic violence, um, making sure that they have stable housing, uh, making sure that they had uh, a GED. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't have their GED, then we had a program across the street. So they dropped their child off to preschool and then they went across the street and they worked on their GED during the day. Um, and so we we really made sure that in order for the student to be successful, the whole family had to be successful. And the only reason, the only way they can do that is by having support and feeling that they have a safe environment and safe people to go to. Um, and that's something that we really strive to do um, at DPA as well. Um, you know, COVID has been traumatic for people and our students have come to us even as we grow infant toddler program, we are learning that zero to five is so important. And we have families that have had a lot of trauma zero to three, zero to four. Um, and how do we, how do we walk alongside that family? You know, so I put my counselor hat on and I say, Hey, I have these three great counselors that we are going to recommend to your family. Um, we have, you know, here's the number for, you know, a food bank, you know, all these different things. Um, we are finding that if we want our, our kids to stay, right? In, in Catholic schools, because that is our goal, that we need to make sure that our families feel that this is a safe place for them to stay and they feel supported. And we want everybody to feel successful. So because of our model, our, our students naturally feel successful. We want our parents to feel the same way, but in, in their everyday life. So it's it's a group effort and we need to make sure we don't forget that our families need to be supported and we need to walk alongside them. Kate, you are a blessing. You are a blessing to this ministry. This is an exciting conversation. We could talk all day. Sure. <laughs> Thanks for letting me come to DPA. We don't want you to be late for May Crowning. It's May yes. Crowning Day. And um, we'll continue these conversations. This is why we want everyone to join the book study. We'll have more of Kate and other principals along the way. We are beginning this conversation on micro schools because it's something that just nationally we haven't been talking about enough. And we know there are other strong, small, intentionally small Catholic schools in this country. So, um, here at NCA, we are committed to that. And we're so glad, Kate, that you're able to give so much time to us over the last few years to, um, to dive into the strengths here. And we wish you all the success here at DPA. Um, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks for listening. And that is all for this episode of the NCA podcast. God bless. God bless.